Hey, everybody. How you doing? And welcome to episode number 131 of the John Riley Project. Today is Monday, May 4th. May the 4th be with you. Hey, thanks for joining us. This is a podcast all about life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. We're broadcasting, as we always do, from Poway, California, the city and the country. This episode brought to you by our friends at PowayStore.com. Hey, let's uh, let's get into it. we got a lot of stuff we want to cover. I want to get into this distant learning situation. I, there's a lot going on with Justin Amash and making his announcement running for president. And if we have some time, I'm hoping we can touch on some sports topics. Uh, but just I just have some fun things to check in with you. But um, before we start, I want to just give a big shout out to um, one of my social media followers who is a guy that I greatly respect. His name is Brian Brady. And he's been posting on Twitter lately just saying, you are essential. You know, and and basically it's sort of a slam on these politicians saying this is an essential business and that's a non-essential business or you have an essential job or that's a non-essential job. That's just a bunch of BS. I mean, we are you are essential. I'm essential. We are all essential. Our lives matter. We need to have self-esteem and pride in what we do. So don't let anyone tell you that you're not essential. Uh, so shout out to you, Brian Brady. Way to go. You are essential. Um, it's a beautiful message, really. And I think it flies in the face of some of the the silly rhetoric we're hearing you know, from all the talking heads and politicians. But let's get into this topic of um, distance learning. And, and this is a great article in the San Diego Union Tribune that came out. In fact, there were a number of great articles in the Sunday edition. I get all of it online. Sandy, was it SanDiegoUnionTribune.com? But the title of the article was School Districts May Switch to Blended Learning and Area Dominated by Charter Schools. And, and this is a very interesting topic. And we've gone over this a, a number of times on this podcast about the benefits of online learning and the way that it empowers students and gives parents other options and students have access to greater resources and really powerful instructors and an incredible amount of content and curriculum that's available to them at their fingertips. I mean, it has the potential to revolutionize the whole education marketplace to make education better, have a higher quality of education and do so for a lower cost, which, by the way, could help right size the budgets of a lot of these school districts. Um, but, yeah, I mean, as you can expect, the public schools are very slow to the party when it comes to online education. And just a few excerpts I'll share from the article. It took many school districts in San Diego County weeks to get ready for distance learning. For some charter schools or public schools run independently of school districts, it only took days. Um, for years, charter schools called personalized learning schools have offered one or a combination of online learning, teacher-supported homeschooling, and blended learning where students physically attend school but only for part of the week. Yeah, so this is innovative. This is moving education into the 21st century, adapting an education model that makes sense for that individual student um, so that students' interests and needs can be um, can be capitalized upon and they can fully blossom rather than a one-size-fits-all model for everybody in a school district. Um, going on, the article says, when traditional schools finally reopen later this year, 
it's likely they will have to operate more like these charter schools and offer one or more of these options, experts say. Um, San Diego County school officials predict that blended learning will become the new norm for public education once students physically return to school later this year. San Diego Unified School Board Vice President said blended learning is the most likely scenario for reopening California's second largest school district. So blended learning is a little bit in the classroom, a little bit from home. It's sort of this this uh, it's a different model. You know, it's not basically sending your your children to a government institution for, you know, six, seven hours a day, five days a week. But it's it's definitely a blended, more customized, more personalized approach to education that can really open up so much opportunity, so much educational content to really empower these students. Um So uh, the article goes on to say there's just not going to be enough room in many schools for adequate physical distancing unless schools limit how many school students are in school on any one day. And that makes a lot of sense. You can't cram 30 students or more in some cases cram that many students into a classroom. If you're going to have six foot radiuses around each student, that classroom, you'd probably be lucky to have 10 or 15 kids in there. Um, No way you're going to have 30 or 35. So Yeah, they're going to have to adapt to this, and it's going to be fascinating to see what these schools do and how they manage through this crisis, because in a lot of ways, this is going to force them to evolve, and it's going to go against the grain of the of the educational establishment um, because they're going to have to do things differently. And so this is going to be incredible to see how this rolls out. Now, charter schools, of course— are a step ahead on this. And charter schools, of course, are always a hot button issue. Um, Charter schools are essentially government funded schools that operate outside of the jurisdiction of a school district. They essentially have independent management that can set standards, set curriculum and and for many, um, for many families, these charter schools are a huge um, opportunity for their children to escape the terrible government-run schools that are often found in a lot of metropolitan areas. Um, this, in fact, a lot of these charter schools have long waiting lists, lotteries to get in, and it's a it's a it's an escape hatch for many of these families, particularly families that are poor, families that are disadvantaged, that are looking for an opportunity to step out of the trap that the the government and society has created for them with these terrible government schools. But of course, charter schools are always attacked. And you know who they're always attacked by are those that support the existing establishment. They're attacked by teachers unions. They're attacked by progressives. They're attacked by those that want to keep the current institutional model in place with virtually no changes. Um, so it's it's interesting how it plays out. I'm, I'm a big advocate for choice, for empowering parents and students to choose the best educational opportunity for them. You know, give them the choice, even though these so-called pro-choice progressives want to prevent that choice. But let's go on. Yes, the the charter schools are definitely a step ahead on this issue of distance learning. Um, Some charter schools already have seen a spike in demand since the schools closed in March. 
Um, Springs Charter Schools, a Southern California network of schools serving 9,800 K through 12 students with locations in Chula Vista and Vista has received more than 2,000 admission applications for the next school year since the schools closed, said Kathleen Hersmeyer, the, the superintendent of the, um, of the Springs Charter Schools. And she says that's more than usual. And yeah, it makes sense because people are, you know, their kids aren't getting the proper kind of education. In fact, when the schools were closed, a lot of these public schools, these government run schools didn't have a, a distance learning situation set up. So these kids were basically drifting and had no place to go, had no curriculum to to really serve their needs. And a lot of parents just said, well, heck with this. I need to get my child into a situation where they can be educated. So it makes sense that charter schools saw a spike in applications because they already had online education up and running. So um, shortly after the school closures, um, Springs Charter Schools opened an online school free for anybody with an email address. About 5,000 people have signed up for the free school, which includes weekly video lessons by teachers, assignments, and answer keys for grades K through 12. And I saw this and I went, you got to be kidding, a free school. And it was a link in the UT article. So I clicked on it and it took me a web page and here's just some of the highlights. It says, Spring Charter Schools is here to help you educate your child during California's safer at home order. Through our open classroom, any family can access free daily online lessons, parent guides and resources. This is an open and free community service. You do not have to be enrolled in Springs Charter Schools in order to participate. And this is this is great because, you know, right now, one of the challenges that's going on in education is that all these school districts, including our local one here at Poway Unified, are upside down. They're in a major budget deficit and they're they're pleading with taxpayers that they need more money to fix leaky roofs, never mind the fact that they're getting $400 million a year in funding from the state of California, So, which is ultimately coming from local taxpayers through our property tax and sales tax and, and et cetera, income taxes. They're getting $400 million a year and they're still crying that they don't have enough money. They're, they're, and then they use leaky roofs as their excuse when what they're really doing is funneling more and more money to pay employees, particularly union employees, particularly teachers. And so now here's a model that's for free that has access to all these great teachers. They've essentially have automated some of this education, which is fantastic because a lot of it can be automated in this way and it can be done for far less money. A great another great example of this is the Khan Academy, K H A N. They've created an online essentially like a YouTube school where they have all of these videos that will break down how to do uh, polynomial expressions and, and, and all kinds of calculus problems. It actually it walks you through just like a teacher in front of a classroom, um, you know, on a whiteboard or a chalkboard walking you through how to handle these complex mathematical equations. They do it in YouTube. And the beauty is, is if you don't understand what the teacher is saying, you can just hit rewind. You can't do that in, in a live presentation. Um, you, you know, here you can personalize it for your own needs. And so the Khan Academy provides that for free. 
You know, and so here we're seeing the Springs Charter Schools offering a similar solution. So I just think this is fantastic. Again, this is opening up opportunities for people. And Springs Charter Schools is providing this free education, not just to their own students, but to anybody. You just have to enter your email address and you get access. So it's beautiful. Now, of course, online education is not for everyone. I mean, I've seen... I was I was reading this uh, Facebook post from a friend of mine and saying how he has two students or two children, and one child has taken very well to online learning and loves it, and but the other one just can't focus, has trouble really, you know, getting into the zone, you know, because they're in a different environment and they're distractions. So obviously, online learning isn't for everyone. Um, so the article goes on to say that. Distance learning has proven challenging for most traditional schools. State and local school officials say they are expecting mass student learning loss because of school closures and students' uneven access to distance learning. So, yeah, some families have access. You know, Some families have computers. Some families don't. Now, granted, I think... Those numbers are changing every day. Um, I think we're seeing more dispersion of technology, even into uh, lower middle class families, even into poorer families. I mean, heck, you can get a lot of it, you know, just, you know, from your smartphone. So um, amazing what is available. But, yeah, it isn't available to everybody. There's going to be some that will be challenged in gaining access. Um, even leaders of personalized learning charter schools acknowledge that distance learning is not appropriate or easy for everyone. And, yeah, that makes sense. Like I said, like the example, some children are going to take to it and some are going to struggle. Um, but they say students have to be motivated to do the work and have parents who can help them with learning. Learning from home also presents problems for working parents who rely on school for childcare. Yeah, and that's a big part of this institutional aspect to this because um, for many families, you know, they're in the rat race working that they use the school system essentially as an extended, an eight hour, nine hour um, childcare system. And it's because of the way our society is built. I get it. So for some families, it's going to be hard because. You really need the support of the parent to help with the education. Um, you know, here in our in our school district in Poway Unified, I remember someone told me that education is like a three pronged stool. It depends on the teacher, the student, and the parent. All three of them have to be effectively working together to support a common goal. And in many cases, you know, there are families where one of those three or maybe two of those three are not engaged. Um, so having parent help and support and participation is very, very important. But, you know, that that's the whole point of having children, right? If you're going to have kids, you need to be there to support your kids. So um, the thing I think that's important to understand here, though, is that education is not a one-size-fits-all model. For some people – Distance learning makes sense. For other people, they need to be in the classroom 100% of the time. For other students, a blend of the two, this kind of blended learning environment we're talking about, makes a great deal of sense. So I'm I'm overall very encouraged by this. I think as we're going through this pandemic, you know, we're obviously having – there's a lot of problems that are being uncovered. You know, there's health-related issues and, you know – COVID cases and, and unfortunate deaths, and there's a huge disruption to the economy. But I think there's a lot of potential silver linings from this. And I think online education is one of those silver linings, because I think if we can move 
more students to online education and open up their eyes to the benefits of it, they're going to have greater access to the best teachers. The apps, like, like like if you are in high school and you're taking physics and your physics teacher isn't very good, but through this online learning, you have access to the number one physics teacher in your community, in your region, in your county. That could be a huge difference maker to not only more effectively teach that content, but also to inspire and encourage and motivate those students to learn. So this online education could be tremendous benefits for the student, but it also provides huge benefits to the administrators that are running these school districts that are challenged with these massive budget deficits. It provides benefits to taxpayers that are being forced to pay for all this because it can be done in a more fiscally optimized manner that can allow, let's just say, the best the best teachers to be paid even more. And then we just need less teachers. And if we have the need for less teachers, then we can make those dollars in an education go a lot further. So um, I, I just think it's great. But I think we're going to still see continued resistance. We're going to see resistance from the education establishment uh, because this notion of online learning threatens their power. It threatens their base. Um, so if the teacher's if there are less teachers, then the teachers union is going to be less powerful um, and it's going to have an impact on politics and in a lot of other areas. So expect resistance, expect propaganda that's going to come from this. And people are going to be saying online learning is terrible and this is why. And then you're going to hear other people say it's great. But in the end, I, I believe it should be up to the parent. It should be up to the parent and student together to choose the right education model that makes sense for their child, makes sense to fulfill the um, uh, to, yeah, to essentially fulfill the aspirations of that child to to fill their bucket of the kinds of content that they want to learn and to and to provide content matter across all subjects, but to do it in a way that's as customized to that individual student as, as possible, because that's when we're going to see those students flourish to the best of their ability. So, wow. So, yeah, distance learning, um, online learning, we're going to see it at San Diego County uh, Public Schools. I know Poway Unified is kind of working their way through this. The charter schools are definitely a lot further ahead on this. Um, and I think that's great. I think that innovation is going to help pull along the bureaucracy of public schools. Um, but I think I think it's all all told. I think this is a great thing. So, um before we get to our next topic, I, I just want to have a you know a quick little ad commercial here for our friends at PowayStore.com. Uh, PowayStore.com is the place you can go get all kinds of stuff celebrating the city of, of, of Poway, the city in the country. They're running a special right now with framed posters, you know, wall art of really excellent photography from Lake Poway, from Iron Mountain, from Old Poway Park that you can buy in various sizes. It's framed. It can be delivered and it's all 20% off, 20% off all their products um, in the framed art category. And by the way, they've also got t-shirts and coffee mugs. They even have those neck gaiters that you can pull up over your face that can serve as a face mask during this COVID situation. Um, these uh, neck gaiters have, you know, essentially a, a screened image of Iron Mountain or of Lake Poway. So if you want to celebrate the city in the country, go to PowayStore.com and check it out. 
All right. So the next um, topic I want to get into is Justin Amash. And I've spoken a lot about Justin Amash on this podcast. He's, in my opinion, one of the very few good guys in Washington, D.C. Um, so, you know, he and he just announced that he's running for president um, as a third party candidate. He's working to gain the nomination of the Libertarian Party. Um, but this is a guy that has huge credentials, um, has great credibility and could be a real difference maker, especially in this election where people are being told they have to pick between Trump and Biden. For many voters, it's like picking between the lesser of two evils um, because both Trump and Biden are such flawed uh, candidates in so many ways. So, so refreshing to have a third choice. So, you know, Justin Amash, like I said, huge credibility. Um, He's been a member of the House of Representatives in Congress, um, representing a district in Western Michigan. I think it's near Grand Rapids. And he's been in Congress now for 10 years. Uh, The previous two years, he also served in the state assembly in Michigan. So the guy's got a lot of experience. Um, And he is all about just some really fundamental basic things like equality under the law. He's for ending all of this corporate welfare and cronyism and corporatism where corporations are rigging the system to fill their pockets um, at the expense of you by using government as a tool to distort the system. Um, He wants to break that down. Um, He also understands that government has its limits. It's a guy that actually wants to support the Constitution, that understands that there are three branches of government, legislative, executive, and judicial, and wants government to to stay in their lane. You know, government has a role to play, but right now government is just way too powerful. And that's why we're seeing so many of these distortions in our economy and in our society right now. I mean, that's a great reason why we, you know, a lot of our progressive friends, you know, talk about wealth inequality, income inequality. A lot of it's because the government has gone way outside their boundary, way outside their lane. He wants to reel that back in and empower people not empower government, which I think is just a great message. Um, the guy is principled. I mean, am- amazing. Think of a of a politician that it, it actually sticks to his guns, that sticks to his principles. I mean, he, when he was a Republican, he would often vote against the Republican um, nominee, and he would not only just vote against it because he felt it violated his core principles or it violated the Constitution, but then afterwards he would Go to social media and explain his rationale on why he voted yes or no on any particular issue, which is just so refreshing, so um, transparent that a politician would do that because usually they are voting in ways to kind of um, you know take care of their donor class where he's just very forthcoming saying, these are my principles. This is why I voted yes or no. Um, so – just an amazing guy. I mean, even when he was a Republican, he had the cojones to go up against President Trump and said, President Trump has abused the power of office and has met the threshold to be impeached. And that took huge bravery. I mean, how often are we seeing bravery from our politicians? But he is able to do that, which is just so unbelievably refreshing. And then what he did on July 4th of last year is he declared his independence from the Republican Party. And he was the only independent, well, not the only, maybe one of a very few number that were in Congress that was an independent candidate. So someone that's not being in this war between the Republicans and Democrats and, you know, 
this this false choice, this this um, kind of fake b- battle between these two entities that in many ways are really more far more similar than they are different. These two uh, main parties, Republicans and Democrats, they may put up a front that they're like night and day, like they're the angel and the devil or the devil and the angel, depending on the way you look at it. But in so many ways, they are just so very similar. In fact, I think a lot of the Bernie supporters have woken up to that because they're seeing Joe Biden and all the other so-called corporate Democrats are just very much aligned with the corporate Republicans. In in so many ways, they are very similar. Um, So um, Amash provides this refreshing alternative um, that actually, you know, stands for some really basic, simple principles that really America is all based upon, you know, our inalienable rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, which which is what this podcast is all about. Um, And, you know, voters now don't have to choose between two awful choices uh, because right now, you know, it's basically a battle between, you know, which which accused rapist are you going to support, you know, Biden or Trump? And you don't have to pick between those two because there is an alternative that makes sense. Now, granted, he still has to earn the nomination of the Libertarian Party. I think it's got to be 80% likelihood, maybe 90%, even though he's a late comer to the party. And I know that's ruffling some of the feathers of the internal folks in the Libertarian Party. He still has been in all of his actions and this, his position on the issues is 90% or more aligned with libertarian platform, libertarian philosophy, which is all about basically letting people manage their own lives as long as they're not harming others. It's the notion of live and let live and and to essentially be able to live your life according to your own values, which is what we really should. This is what America is all about. And you, now we have a candidate that actually it has a reasonable chance to make an impact in this November 2020 election. So I'm I'm just overjoyed. And, you know, he calls himself normal, honest, practical, capable, humble. And he was just interviewed um, over the weekend on on CNN. It was Jake Tapper did his State of the Union, uh, which is kind of like the meet the press version of CNN. And, um, you know, Amash just comes off as just you know, just a really good guy, a decent guy, um, a guy that you feel like you can trust, a guy that's not there to be so flamboyant and so, um, you know, he's not made for the cameras, you know, with with that, you know, perfect Joe Biden smile or the Donald Trump hair. Um, the guy is just a normal dude, an honest guy and just speaks truthfully and and he's humble and it's just it's it's unbelievable it's just so different but it's really what we need he's the kind of candidate that can bring the nation together because candidates like especially Donald Trump are all about dividing America and not about bringing people together i mean heck there was just the video that came out over the weekend where president george w bush and had a, a speech with some nice imagery um, talking about bringing America together as we get through this COVID pandemic. And of course, it was panned by Trump and a lot by a lot of people on the extreme left and the extreme right that were condemning Trump, I mean, condemning President Bush. You know, regardless of how you felt about President Bush's policies when he was president, you know, 12 to 20 years ago, and I was no supporter of him, but 
it was nice to see a president that wanted to bring everyone together and wanted to have unity rather than division. Trump is all about division. Biden, to play his game effectively, is going to be also playing a divisive game. Um, Amash has an opportunity to bring people together. So I'm I'm just overjoyed that he is in this race. Now, I I got to be careful. I, 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 I've been told by Julie Mason, um, who's a host on Sirius XM 124, the POTUS channel, she always says, never fall in love with a politician. They always disappoint you. And I got burned before with Rand Paul. Um, so am I going to get burned again by Justin Amash? I don't know, but I'm, I just am encouraged. I, I feel like going into the, if he, assuming he's the, the candidates on the ballot, going into the, um, the, the ballot box in November, I, I don't feel like I have to pick between the lesser of evils. I don't have to hold my nose and make a choice. Um, and instead, I can vote for what I want rather than voting against what I don't want. Um, so yeah, now we're going to start to see how this all plays out. You know, does he pull voters away from Trump? Does he pull voters away from Biden? Which one does he help? Which one does he hurt? You know, people are saying, oh, he's getting into the race. That's just going to make it easier for Trump to win. It's just a bunch of baloney. You know, you get in the ballot box, you vote for who you want to vote for. In my opinion, you know, voters should vote based on their own values. I see voting as an expression of my own values. But some people feel like they need to vote for the horse that has the, the chance to win. But if you're voting for a horse that has a chance to win that that really violates all of the principles that you represent, then why are you supporting that? So we'll get we'll break down the dynamics and the psychology of this as we get closer to November. But I, I'm just ecstatic that he's put his foot forward. I, I just encourage you as listeners and viewers of this podcast to give him a fair shot. Listen to what he says. Um, you know, maybe seek out what he's saying um, and and give him the benefit of the doubt or at least give him consideration uh, because I think he offers a refreshing alternative to two 70-year-old senile, um, you know, uh, people accused of sexual uh, being sexual predators. I mean, that's what we have in Biden and Trump. Here's here's Justin Amash, the, the son of immigrants, um, 40 years old, standing up for really, you know, what America is supposed to be all about is about individual liberty and um, and and free markets and, you know, essentially letting people manage their own life. So, um I, again, I encourage you to take a look, Justin Amash, and he'll be on the ballot, hopefully, in November, assuming he gets the um, the nomination by the uh, the Libertarian Party. So, um, yeah, so, you know, we, we talked a lot about life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, and that's what this podcast is all about, and we have a new sponsor, and this sponsor is happiness76.com. Um, Happiness76 is an online store, an e-commerce store that has products that celebrate our inalienable rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. So there, there, there are T-shirts and coffee mugs and all kinds of neat, fun materials there. And this is a new business. And they're just getting started. And they reached out to me and said, hey, can we do something with your podcast? And I was like, yeah, for sure. Let's do it. And so, um, you know, they have, uh, like, like I said, a variety of different items that 
and it's not not necessarily the whole America, you know, uh, MAGA. It's not about that at all. It's it's about the idea of living free, the idea of pursuing your own happiness, and and. I, I encourage you to go check them out at happiness76.com. They also have uh, a T-shirts that are online that are also 20% off. So go check out. They have long sleeve T-shirts, short sleeve T-shirts, um, some ce- celebrating the idea that all men are created equal. But rather than the word men, it has icons of all the different gender identities. So all the gender identities are created equal. It's kind of a neat shirt. Um, so go check them out at happiness76.com. Um, okay, we, we have time. I, I wanted to get into some sports stuff. And again, the Union Tribune, uh, San Diego UT, was actually very good this last Sunday. They had some really neat articles um, about two books that are coming out, one about Willie Mays and another one about Jerry Tarkanian. And I thought, oh, this is wonderful. So I read the articles and I was just really you know, I just had a real kind of a positive vibe from the the books. And I want to share them with you because each of these individuals had a meaning for me in my own life um, at, at various times of my own life. So um, Willie Mays, still a source of awe and inspiration. And this was an article in the UT sports writer, John Shea, who, by the way, is a former beat writer for the Padres. Um, I think he wrote for the North County Times back when that existed way back when. And then he went up to the Bay Area and was covering the Giants up in San Francisco. So sports writer John Shea digs deeper in collaboration with a Hall of Famer on a new book, 24 life stories and lessons from the say hey kids so you remember there was the movie 42 about jackie robinson well willie mays 24 that was his number and um just you know one of the greatest baseball players of all time some would say the best better than babe ruth better than joe dimaggio better than mickey mantle better than any of the modern day players some people believe he is the best of all time the greatest of all time willie mays i mean he's a san francisco icon and i grew up i was born in san francisco i grew up in the bay area so yeah willie mays i mean when i was i when i was a young child it was right when willie mays was at the very end of his career but that's all we heard about was willie mays this willie mays that um So from the article, uh, John Shea writes, um, whether on the sandlots of San Francisco or the grass at the stick, you know, Candlestick Park, um, it seems kids imitated most of the players they watch play. Um, Shea mentioned several names noticeably missing from the list is Mays, revered in San Francisco the way Tony Gwynn is here in San Diego. Willie had to be the number one guy because he was Mays. But as Felipe Alou, you know, the former manager of the Giants and the Expos and a former giant that played in uh, in San Francisco with Willie Mays, Felipe Alou once told him players like Willie play at a higher altitude. So it is always unrealistic for the rest of the world to even dream about such greatness. Um, And it's true, you know, because as kids, you know, you always want to pretend you are that famous ball player. But the idea of. Pretending you were Willie Mays was like pretending you were God. It was like some higher plane that was above you. So um, uh, he goes on to say, so we dreamed with lesser players and I dreamed with middle infielders like Chris Spire and Tito Fuentes who were colorful middle infielders. And I remember doing that too. So when, you know, Mays retired, I think it was in 73. That was the year he was traded to the Mets 
And then they ended up going to the World Series against the Oakland A's. So really, 72 was the last year when he was with the Giants as a regular full-time player. And I was seven years old. And that and that was right when I started playing baseball. And I remember uh, I had a friend, Steve Tiani. And I lived in Burlingame. He lived kind of about a half a mile from me. And I would go to his house for play dates, essentially. And we would play wiffle ball in his front yard. And we would, if, if the Giants were on the radio, we'd be playing it on the radio as we were playing a wiffle ball game. And we would get up there and we would pretend who... who uh, we were one of the giants and we would go down the actual batting order of the giants because we were listening to the ball game. And I remember we would often pretend we were Tito Fuentes, who was the second baseman who also played for the Padres. But he had this thing where he would take his bat and he would knock the knob of the bat on the plate and then flip the bat and then catch it. And then he would get ready to bat. So we all, of course, would always do that move. Um, but yeah, we, did we, we? I don't know if we necessarily pretended we were Willie Mays because it was like he was some higher figure that it would be blasphemy to say that you were pretending to be Willie Mays. So, yeah, we would pretend to be some of the lesser players like shortstop Chris Spire or, or, or second baseman Tito Fuentes. But I remember back then my mother took me um, to a game at Candlestick Park. And this is back – um, you know, when my, this is before my mother remarried. So it was my mom, my grandmother, and my aunt, we were all living together. And, and my mom, I remember took me up to Candlestick Park and it was bat day. And I got a bat that was from Willie Mays, you know, and it was the ones they handed out to everyone, which by the way, is amazing that they were handing out these wooden clubs to all the fans as they entered the stadium. You think that would have caused a riot, especially at a Giants Dodgers game. But I remember getting that bat as a young child. It was very meaningful to me. And I remember my mom told me, don't use that bat because it's, you know, it's got the Willie Mays signature on it. And it wasn't really his signature. It was like engraved, you know, because everyone got bats. And they must have given out 20 or 30,000 of them at that day at Candlestick Park. But um, I just remember that. And my mom telling me, don't use the bat because it's special because it's Willie Mays. And Willie Mays is this guy at this higher level. Um, But then I remember, you know, it was just during that time is when I began my love of baseball. And then my friend Steve Tiani, who I told you about, we would play in his wiffle ball in his front yard. We got a little bit older. We would work our way down to Village Park in Burlingame, and we would just play one-on-one baseball where you'd have a guy that would be catching fly balls and another person would have the ball in the bat. They'd throw it up and swing the bat and hit the ball. And we'd make up our own game. You know, If the ball hit the fence, it was a triple. If it if it rolled and touched the fence, it was a double. If it got past a certain line, it was like kind of like over the line that we created. We were eight and nine years old. And again, we would still pretend that we were different Giants batters. And we had a lineup that we made up in our minds. And it was this you know, childhood fantasy. It was just a beautiful time. So, yeah, all what, what John Shea is talking about here, about children on sandlots, pretending, imitating being these players. I totally, totally get that. Um, so the book goes on deeper and it says, um, sure, it would. the book would touch on the highlights of the Hall of Fame career of Willie Mays, including his 660 home runs, which, by the way, his 600th home run was, was hit here in San Diego at, was it then Jack Murphy Stadium or was it then San Diego Stadium? I think it was in 1969. He had his 600th home run, which back then is Incredible. I think he was only the second player of the time that had surpassed 600 home runs. It was him and 
Babe Ruth. Um, and so, of course, you know, the 660 home runs are in the book, the the signature moments like the catch, you know, that basket catch he made over his shoulder at the polo grounds. Um, was that in the 1954 World Series? It might have been. And the debates over who was the greatest center fielder in New York in the 1950s. Was it Willie Mays? Was it Mickey Mantle? Was it the Duke, Duke Snyder, who played for the Dodgers? So all that's in the book, but it, the, the, the book goes much deeper than that. So Shea, the, the author, went and spent a week in Birmingham, Alabama, tracing Willie Mays' roots. Um, and the trip included a visit to Rickwood Field, where May's pro career took off with the Birmingham Black Barons. Rickwood Field opened in 1910, making it the oldest professional ballpark still standing. Um, you know, Fenway Park opened in 1912, Wrigley in 1916. So this Rickwood Field was opened in 1910. So I think this is great going back to his roots. And this is the part of it that I love because I've been doing that myself as I've been tracing my history. And I remember being up in Burlingame and I've been doing these different videos when I go on these family ancestry trips. And I did a video in front of my Little League field, um, capturing that moment of my childhood that was very special. And and so John Shea is sort of doing the same thing as he's researching Willie Mays, which is just awesome. And then it goes on where, um, yeah, the, the whole idea of tracing roots. And I did that as well with my wife and I, we went to... Um, Butte, Montana, you know, um, in September where my ancestors worked in the mines and the whole idea of tracing history and going back to roots for me is wonderfully fulfilling. It would be wonderful to read this book and follow John Shea as he visits and takes in Willie May's youth and his childhood and how he grew up. Um, but the book itself is not just a sports biography. I mean, I think Willie Mays, who's, you know, worked cooperatively with John Shea on this. And I think Willie Mays is in his late 80s. And I saw a photo of him in the article. He looked great. But apparently it has 24 chapters, which is perfect, you know, corresponding with Willie Mays' jersey number. And um, and each of the chapters has these wonderful titles like Play Catch With Your Dad, Remember Your History, Honor Your Mentors. It's not all about numbers. So there's a great opportunity here for this book to really be able to teach valuable lessons to children. It's not just a sports biography because there's been countless numbers of those. And, and you know, Shea said that the first thing that Willie said when considering this project is that he would like to see this book in the classrooms. And I'm like, right on, Willie Mays. So um, I, I'm, I'm just looking forward to this book coming out. I definitely want to get it. I want to read it. And, and when I do, I'm, I want to share more of it on this podcast. But this is this is wonderful. And um, what a great way for Willie Mays in his late 80s. I mean, I'm, we're blessed to have him here as long as he's been. But, you know, he doesn't the clock's ticking on Willie Mays. So this would be a wonderful project for him to work with John Shea and to see this to not only celebrate his life, celebrate his roots, but really to offer valuable lessons for children today. So I, I think this is a wonderful project. So I'm really enthused. Um, okay. I, I want to get into Jerry Tarkanian, the um, head basketball coach at UNLV. But before I do, just a quick shout. 
Hey, if you want to get on the mailing list for the John Riley Project, we send out information periodically to our subscribers. Um, just go visit us at johnreillyproject.com slash subscribe. And there you can get on our mailing list and we'll send behind the scenes information on what's going on with the podcast, um, information about our guests and what the, the projects they're working on. So just to give you a little insight of what we're up to. And we'd love to have you on board. So sign up for our mailing list at johnreillyproject.com slash subscribe, or you just go to johnreilly.com and, and go to the menu and you'll find the subscribe button there. Um, so look for us there and sign up. We'd love to have you on board. Um, okay. So let's talk about Tark the Shark. So Bryce Miller, who is a columnist for the San Diego Union Tribune, um, had this article talking about um, Jerry Tarkanian's son is coming out with a book telling the, t- uh, the tales of his towel-chewing father, Jerry Tarkanian. So you remember Jerry Tarkanian, the head coach at UNLV, um, had a very colorful uh, history as a coach, um, pl- uh, coached previously at Long Beach State, and he had this thing where he would chew on a towel. Um, and it was kind of like a nervous energy thing, and it became sort of a signature deal for him that um, he would do that on the on the stands because the, and the camera guys love picking it up. Um, so Jerry Tarkanian, I think, a very misunderstood guy, a guy that um, got in a lot of trouble, but you kind of wonder why he got in trouble. So let's take a look at some of the excerpts from this article. So it wasn't the final four appearances. It wasn't the 1990 NCAA championship. It wasn't the blur of tireless legs and relentless swagger that put the run in the Rubbin' Rebels. And man, there was swagger. Those guys, man, they were like, um, kind of, they were definitely a, a, a precursor of the Fab Five at Michigan. You know, these were superstars and, and they knew it and they had tremendous self-esteem, tremendous self-confidence. Um, they, were, they were a very special team to follow back in those days. So a saliva-soaked towel became the signature of Jerry Tarkanian, the balding son of Armenian immigrants who tangled with the powerful NCAA, the um, um, who's tangled with, <laughs> with the powerful NCAA at every turn while turning opposing defenses into Swiss cheese. And um, Danny Tarkanian, who's the author of this book, and also Danny Tarkanian, I think, served in the U.S. House of Representatives. He was a congressman um, in Vegas, I think very much aligned with, with President Trump. Uh, so Danny Tarkanian says, after my dad retired, more people came up to me and said, your dad is the guy with the towel, not the guy who won the national championships, um, Danny Tarkanian said. So he came out with this book, and it's called Rebel with a Cause, The True Story of Jerry Tarkanian. And the book's now available on Amazon. So um, it's, it's, he's an interesting guy. And, and Jerry Tarkanian, there is a San Diego connection to him. Um, so when he's not gumming his towels, you know, this is uh, Bryce Miller in his article goes on to say, Tarkanian established San Diego roots. He bought a Pacific Beach condo um, the family still owns. Um, in retirement, he routinely met with coaching friends at the Del Mar racetrack and, and his son, Danny Tarkanian, attended the University of San Diego Law School. The biggest what if... Jerry Tarkanian almost coached the San Diego State Aztecs. So late athletic director Fred Miller filled in the same role at Long Beach State 
when Tarkanian guided four straight teams to the NCAA tournament. So, um, yeah, Fred Miller, the AD at San Diego State, was the AD at Long Beach. Tarkanian, the head coach at Long Beach, and he had a nice run there as well. Um, So Fred Miller at San Diego State, when he was the AD, he hatched a plan to lure uh, Tarkanian to Montezuma Mesa to replace Jim Brandenburg. But President Thomas Day nixed the deal. And, you know, because there was always this cloud um, of uh, impropriety that followed J- Jerry Tarkanian. And, you know, of course, after um, the the running rebels at UNLV won the national championship, you know, some of their players got busted for hanging out with boosters and I think gamblers. I'm not sure of the exact detail, but they were hanging out with people that they apparently, excuse me, shouldn't have been hanging out with. And that led partly to Jerry demise, uh, Jerry Tarkanian's demise. But what's interesting is that when I remember this back in the in the late 1990s, when when Tarkanian was dismissed um, as not a possible coach for for San Diego State, that's when the Aztecs turned and hired St- uh, Steve Fisher. And I remember he Steve Fisher was also kind of had a, the controversy of what happened at Michigan, um, where again players doing. Um, be, exhibiting behavior that was outside the boundary, outside the rules, Fisher got kind of torn down that as well, even though Steve Fisher had no involvement in it. But he was the scapegoat. He was the head of the program. So he went down with the ship. And I remember at the time, I didn't really know Steve Fisher like we know him now. Steve Fisher, of course, an angel, um, one of the most beautiful and special people in the world. And we were just blessed to have him here at San Diego State. But I'll admit at the time when Jerry Tarkanian was um, was essentially told he couldn't coach, I was really disappointed. And we got Steve Fisher. I'm like, oh, you know, Steve Fisher, it's such a, a letdown from Jerry Tarkanian. Now, it turned out great for the Aztec program. Thank goodness. And now we have Brian Dutcher that came along with Steve Fisher. But I, I was disappointed by that. But I always the one thing I always liked about Tarkanian is you could always tell they had a really good heart. And yeah, he would recruit players that maybe came from troubled backgrounds, that maybe players that didn't have the highest level of character. But you knew that Tarkanian was always trying to give those kids a chance, give them a second chance, sometimes a third chance, because he wanted to give them an opportunity for a better life. Now, granted, he wanted those players for his team. They were really good players, but you could tell he also did it out of love to help those kids Um, because some of them were in terrible situations with their family, you know, in poverty and and, and, in environments, in neighborhoods where there was no hope, no escape. And he was providing that opportunity for them to get out of a bad situation. But the true undoing, um, Danny Tarkanian, the son said, um, of Jerry Tarkanian's const, uh, was Jerry Tarkanian's constant meddling with the NCAA. They were always battling it out. Um, and Tarkanian felt that the NCAA picked on smaller schools while turning a blind regulatory eye to the Blue Bloods, you know, the Blue Bloods like Kentucky or UCLA or Duke. Um, and yeah, there's something to be said for that, uh, for sure. Um, and Tarkanian wasn't shy about it, and he would criticize the NCAA. And Danny went on to say, the rules my dad was against were the ones that caused kids to live at an inferior level compared to kids with discretionary income. 
he was a vocal critic on that. And that's so true. So, you know, Jerry Tarkanian wanted to give kids that were from lower economic conditions to give them an opportunity to play on the big stage, to have an opportunity to maybe play in the NBA. And yeah, many of those UNLV run and rebel players, not just from that 1990 championship season, like Stacey Ogman and Greg Anthony and um, Larry Johnson went on to the NBA, but even earlier players um, like, um, was it Reggie Theus that played at UNLV and did I say Stacey Ogman? There have been a number of players that played um, for UNLV in the 1980s that went on to play in the NBA. So he created that platform for them. And I think he should be celebrated for that. Um, and what's interesting is, is now the NCAA is finally recognizing that they can't continue to keep these outstanding athletes that are bringing in such a massive amounts of money into the coffers of these schools. And these athletes are not being compensated. Yeah, sure, they're getting a, an athletic scholarship, but it's highly disproportionate to the amount of, I mean, literally billions of dollars that are flowing into these sports programs. Um, now the NCAA is finally, this is just very recent news, like in the last week or two, where they're now allowing those players to be able to license their likeness. So if they appear on a video game, they can actually make some royalties. If a jersey with their name is being sold, they can actually make a little bit of revenue from that, which is only fair. And this is the kind of thing that Jerry Tarkanian was fighting for, is to give these kids a chance, you know, and and it, and it's wrong that, you know, that smaller schools were, were treated differently. Um, and sadly, we're, we're still seeing that today. So that's another book. I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing that one as well. So um, wow, there's a few other things I want to get into, but we're running out of time and I'll save those for the next podcast. I want to talk a little bit more about the Aztec basketball programs. There's been some news. I want to share some of my recent streaming, some of the movies and shows I've been watching. I want to give some more updates on my quest, my adventure dealing with the PPP, the Paycheck Protection Program, um, this part of the stimulus package. I've been kind of running the, the gauntlet on that, and I'll give you updates on that in the next podcast. Um, but I do encourage you to come on out and, and follow on social media. Uh, you can look me up on Facebook, John Riley Project. Uh, also on Twitter, John Riley Poway is my handle there. So I'm very active on those platforms. Um, so if you want to continue the conversation, please do. You can also reply in the comments on the YouTube video. And I got some. I always get some really good responses in the in the comments section on YouTube. In fact, I just got a response from one of my my viewers who watched the Big Stone Lodge uh, podcast and then went down to the Big Stone Lodge and actually snuck in and took pictures. And some of the photos he shared were tremendous. So I'm hoping he'll be able to share some more information so we can do a follow-up podcast on the Big Stone Lodge here in Poway. So yeah, love uh, the, the ongoing dialogue. And that's really what this podcast is all about. It's about encouraging discussion, having this sort of rational civil discussion on the issues and um, and inviting, you know, that kind of, um, you know, discourse where we can learn from one another. Okay, some closing quotes. Um, had three important people that were mentioned in this podcast, so I got quotes from each one of them. So from Willie Mays, every time I look at my pocketbook, I see Jackie Robinson. And that, that's a great quote. Of course, Jackie Robinson broke the color barrier. Um, I know Willie Mays was a rookie in 1951, and I think... Um, 
Jackie Robinson might have been in, was it 1947, I think, was when he broke in. So, you know, he was three or four years ahead of Willie Mays. Um, so, yeah, uh, Jackie Robinson broke the barrier. He was the trailblazer that allowed all these black athletes to enter Major League Baseball. You know, not just Willie Mays, but, I mean, Hank Aaron. I mean, we can go down the list. Roberto Clemente. It is really just looking at life today in 2020. That was only 70 years ago. And it's ridiculous that something like that existed back then. But that's the way life was. And so things move fast. I mean, 70 years is just a speck of time in, um, in the real whole scheme of things. But it's amazing to see from one perspective how far we've come. But from the other perspective, how ridiculous and backwards society was back then. They wouldn't let black uh, players play um, in professional sports or, or at least in Major League Baseball. So – um, great quote from Willie. Every time I look in my pocketbook, I see Jackie Robinson from Jerry Tarkanian. And this is a great quote. Makes me think of my days as a youth coach because um, I coached here in Poway and girls softball and little league and basketball for both of my children. Yelling doesn't win ball games. It doesn't put any points on the scoreboard. And I don't think words win ball games all the time. Players do. Preparation does. So, yeah, he, he's all about empowering the player. You know, some coaches, the way they run their, their basketball programs, they're disciplinarians. It's all about the coach. I mean, like Bobby Knight is a great example. But the one thing Tarkanian would do is he would let his players be free. You know, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. He would basically say if you make a player think too hard, then they begin – they play with concrete knees. You know, they can't move. Um, he let, let them free up their mind so they can pursue their own happiness and then excel and flourish at a high level. And he embraced that, which I think is wonderful. And then, of course, Justin Amash, as a legislature, as a legislator, I saw how effective I could be by being transparent and posting and explaining all of my votes. And I, I talked about that, how after every vote, including the very difficult votes, he gets on Twitter and Facebook and he will explain his rationale which is so refreshing. You don't ever see politicians do that, or if they do, it's rare. But he would do it all the time. Wouldn't that be great to have a leader of our nation that was that transparent with the American people? That's why I think his candidacy is very, very special. And I hope he um, is able to kind of break the, the duopoly, break the Republican Democratic duopoly over American politics. He has a chance to shatter that as long as we give him the chance. So I'm encouraged for Justin Amash. Okay, so this is uh, John Riley Project. This is episode 131. It's May the 4th be with you. It's May 4th, 2020. Hope you have a great day. And um, we'll catch you later, friends. Bye-bye.